appreciate it. My name is Chris, and I have the privilege of uh, being a pastor here at the church. And uh, what a what an awesome morning we have had. And we are continuing on in our series, Greater in Colossians. And someone approached me this week as they knew the the passage of scripture that I would be teaching, and they smiled and they just said, "Hey, if you just skip verse 18, it's going to be smooth sailing. That whole wives submit to your husbands thing, just skim over that. It'll be it'll be smooth sailing." And so we are not just going to smooth and sail right over that. Uh, We are going to dive into that head on along with verse 19. And so today we look back at where we've been looking at really what Paul has been unpacking of the theological side, the Christology side. Who is Christ? What is Christ about? What does it mean to follow Christ? Now Paul is getting into what does this mean to live it out? And he specifically dives into the home. What does this look like in marriage? What does this look like as parents? What does this look like as work? And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to dive into these. And you may be saying like, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Every week, there's going to be something that you're going to be able to grab onto, no matter what stage of life you're in or where you're at. Now, there is uh, a saying that gets tossed around when it comes to Scripture. And uh, maybe you've said it, maybe you've heard someone say it, or maybe you operate this way. And this is the saying. This is it. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Right? You've heard that, maybe like had someone say that around you or operate that way. Okay, so let's... Let's test this out a little bit, okay? We're going to test this out. The Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. All right, so this is an ancient text we're working with, and here we are thousands of years later applying it to the modern day. So let's go to Leviticus. All right, first verse. All who curse father or mother shall be put to death. So if your child has cursed you, you have not followed Scripture. All right, let's try something else. Let's think about what we're wearing here today, all right? So it says, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Anyone have just pure one type of clothing, just pure wool today? Today would be a wonderful wool day. That's nothing else mixed in. All right, let's try something else. What about indoor plumbing? Do you know there's a passage about plumbing here? Sort of. Deuteronomy says this, designate a place outside the camp where you can go relieve yourself. Yes, this is scripture. As part of your equipment, have something to dig with, and when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. That's scripture. Stop using indoor plumbing if we're going to continue with this idea, right? All right, let's do something else. I want to tell you, some of you were very disrespectful this morning, and this is why. Leviticus 19 says, stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly. I did not say amen. Someone said an amen back there. I love that. You were disrespectful as some of our, our beloved elderly walked in. But the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it, right? You may be saying, well, Chris, you just went from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. That's Old Testament. Okay, let's go New Testament. Ready? Here we go. Matthew 5. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I am going to be texting some of you later because I need to borrow some things from you. And just widely, Scripture says this, so just ask people. Like, if you like someone, a car someone's driving here today, just ask them to borrow it, okay? So that's Scripture, right? Here we go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is Luke. So it's time to have a giant garage sale. We need to give to the poor. Or here's one that everyone loves. Ready? Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak. <laughs> Oh, you at least responded. In last service, they were like, 
How do I respond to this? But I saw women talking here this morning. The Bible says it. I believe that that settles it. What about one more? So we've got a drinking fountain right there. We're going to add another drinking fountain right next to it because of this. It says in 1 Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Maybe not. See, the reality is, is not a single one of you, no matter how much you believe it, 100% literally follows everything in Scripture. Every single one of you contextualize, every single one of you pick and choose what you like, every single one of you live it out differently. The Bible was not written in a vacuum. The Bible was not written for this theoretical or utopian society. It was written by real people, inspired by God, in a real cultural grid, going through many other cultural grids throughout time, and we are now interpreting Scripture in a cultural grid. So we can't just come to it and just say, well, this is exactly what it says, and this is how I believe it to be. we got to know, what kind of genre is it? Is it poetry? Is it historical narrative? Is it wisdom literature? What's the original setting? What is the author's audience? Who is that? What is the point the author is trying to make? Hermeneutics is uh, a big word for interpretation of text. And we think specifically of uh, biblical text when it comes to hermeneutics. And what I just described is what would be considered a static hermeneutic, meaning that it was written for, for in, in a, a time and a place, and it just carries forward exactly in that same way. And there's also another type of hermeneutic, which is called a redemptive movement hermeneutic, that the whole Bible is about redemption. It is about reconciliation. It is about restoration from a created place that has been marred by sin to an ultimate restored place. There's a redemptive element. This is the whole scripture. There is a movement through scripture. There's a graphic here that they're going to throw up, I think, maybe. Did that, maybe not transfer? Is there a graphic back there? No, nope, there's not one in this one. Okay, so I want you to picture this graphic here. All right, so there would be an X right here. There would be a Y and then a Z. So there's this movement that this, this graphic would ultimately show is that there's original culture, the X. So this is ancient Near Eastern, this is Greco-Roman culture, and we start in this place. This is what the culture was. And there's a redemptive movement when Scripture is written. This is the why. So Scripture is written in a time and a place, and there's words that, in a sense, are frozen in time because they were written then, just like an author now would pen words. They'd be set in a time. And so the Bible moves it to a more redemptive place. And then we have our culture, which is ultimately trying to, or hopefully creating a better ethic but there is this ultimate ethic, this Z ethic, which is full restoration, this ultimate restoration that will happen in eternity. But we move through the original scripture, our culture, to this ultimate ethic. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're working towards this restored reality. So you can do an, an example of like slavery. Some people look at scripture and are like, why, why does the Bible not more harshly condemn slavery? Well, it is moving it from where it was completely there and present with abuses. It moved Bible redeems to better conditions. You think of Philemon, is that there is this, um, this welcoming into the family. In a couple of weeks, you're going to hear about slaves and masters and this restoration that's going on. And there's our culture where slavery is illegal. It's so present. And there's better working conditions just in general for, for humans to this ultimate ethic where slavery is eliminated, that it is just a wholeness, a fullness in our work. 
And so there is this movement, and no one would say, well, Scripture was written in this one time and place, and, and since it says it's okay to have, you know, to treat a slave this way, we're not saying that slavery is okay. It is not. It is abhorrent. And so in our passage today, we're looking specifically at wives and husbands. And when Paul wrote Colossians, he was, he was writing to a culture, to a place, to a time. He wasn't creating new rules. He just being like, hmm, I think this is good. Let's see. Wives submit to their husbands. Husbands love their wives. Here's some new rules. He's commenting on what are known as household codes, this Greco-Roman culture. And these codes far outdate Jesus and Paul. They predate both of them. For example, these are some thoughts that have in, would have impacted the culture that Jesus walked in and lived in and also Paul. Plato, he thought the home should be run like a government. He said each one must perform one social service for the, in the state for which is his nature it was best adopted. The principle embodied in child, woman, slave, free, artisan, ruler, and ruled, that each performed his one task as a man and not as a versatile busybody. So there's one role Plato was saying. He's starting to form these thoughts. Uh, a little bit later, Aristotle said this. He said, for every state is composed of households. Household management falls into departments corresponding to the parts of which the household in its turn is composed. Master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. A husband and a father rules over wife and children, both free, but the rule differs. The rule over his children being a royal, over his wife, a constitutional rule. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than a female. The courage of a man is shown in commanding of a woman in obeying. Silence is a woman's glory, but this is not a quality, the glory of man. I didn't say this. I'm just quoting people, all right? Um, uh, another philosopher said this, the husband governed, governs, but the wife is governed. He rules over her with a political power, according to which both the governor and the thing governed establish. Another writer said this, both the, both the married women as having no other refuge to conform themselves entirely to the temper of their husbands and the husbands to the rule of their wives as necessary as and inseparable possessions. Here's another one which you'll love. The women are best suited to the indoor life. That was sarcastic, by the way. The best suited to the indoor life, which never strays from the house. Organized communities are of two sorts. The greater of which we call cities and the smaller, which we call households. Both have their governors. A woman, then, should not be a busybody meddling with matters outside her household concerns, but should seek a life of seclusion. Wives must be in servitude to their husbands, a servitude not imposed by violent ill treatment, but promoting obedience in all things. And then a first century, last one here, first century writer said this, the woman, says the law, is in all things inferior to a man. Let her accordingly be submissive not for her humiliation, but she may be directed, for the authority has been given by God to the man. Fun stuff, right? This is what Jesus lived in and entered into. This is what Paul lived in and entered into. This, these are household ideas that are there. These are government ideas, and the household should be managed like a government. And at the head of a Roman household was the paterfamilias. And this is the head of the household. This is the male. This is the oldest male who had absolute power over everything. Wife, children, slaves, they were all possessions. They were all things. They were all less than human. 
the paterfamilias had legal authority over everything, all business decisions, all property owned, all religious practice. He could have relationships outside of his marriage with no social stigma. His children, when his wife had a child, the midwife would set the child on the ground and the paterfamilias would go and, and look and see whether or not he wanted to accept this child into the family. If he did, he would pick the child up and bring the, the child into the family. If he would walk away, the child would be abandoned somewhere. The paterfamilias could sell children into slavery, could approve or reject or end marriages, could inflict physical punishment, and could violently take the life of his children, his wife, or slaves without any sort of legal ramification. The entire household was called to obey, no matter what. So naturally, Paul is getting questions of like, okay, this is culture. Do we follow this? Or is this Jesus that you write about? Does Jesus make a difference? Do we, what, what does this look like for us? And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we've talked about how Paul's ultimate goal is to present followers of Jesus as mature. He doesn't want to leave them in immature states. He, he wants to bring them to this place of maturity. So what does this have to say to a system where wives, children, and slaves were expected to obey? Let's look at verse 18. Ready? Wives, stop. This is an easy thing to run right by. Word wives. I want you also to notice, too, if you have your Bible open, in verse 20, the word children, and in verse 22, the word slaves. The simple fact that Paul addresses wives, children, and slaves is radical. The fact that he speaks to them saying, you have a role in the family, you have a role in the household, is radical and throws all sorts of things against the cultural realities of the day. Paul is seeing them as equal members of the household. He has already written in verse 11 of chapter 3 these words. He said, here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then in another letter in Galatians 3, he said this in chapter, or verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying, he's saying you can put all sorts of labels and differentiate and divide out, ranking and hierarchy and power and who's in charge and who has authority. It's like the way of Jesus is that Jesus is at the head, that Jesus is authority, that Jesus is power, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. That is what matters. See, when Jesus is Lord of the household, when Jesus is head of the household, these old boundaries and hierarchies and all this philosophy and all this power starts to fade away and these lines start to blur. And you get this kind of like, huh, a reality. And so when Paul writes in verse 18, he says, wives, he has already acknowledged them. And he says, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then there's a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, 21, which again, Paul, or 22, which Paul again says, submit yourselves. 
See, we can take this verse and we can take the Colossians verse and just say, look, here it is. Here, submit, 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 submit. And we miss the point. See, Paul could have very easily said, wives, obey your husbands. And bluntly, no one would have really batted an eye. Like, yeah, that's what, what the culture is, is like. It, that must be the way of Jesus. But what Paul is doing is he's using the word hupotasso, which is to arrange in order under by voluntary cooperation putting others first. When he says submit, he's saying to arrange order under by voluntary cooperation putting others first. So Paul is not forcing, he's not demanding, he's saying submit yourselves. There's, there's an empowerment. He's now acknowledged wives and now he's saying, submit yourselves. Make this choice. Voluntarily do this. And when we read this passage, we, we read the word submit. And maybe you heard that this morning and you're like, Brr. See, in our culture, verse 18 is the offensive, just jarring verse. Because we look at it going like, oh. And we look at verse 19, which says, husbands, love your wife. You're like, oh, yeah, that's cute. That's good. Yep, they should be doing that. Yep, good for husbands. But in Greco-Roman culture, the church would have heard this, wives, submit to yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. So fitting, follow the Lord. They'd be like, yeah, all right, we're doing this. Yep. And then they would have read verse 19 saying, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the guys would have been like, what? You call, no, no, they're, Hmm. Do you remember last week? We talked about Paul's teaching in verses 5 through 14, where Paul was saying put to death or to put off certain things. You heard everything that I said about the husband's rights and the husband's power in Greco-Roman culture that the church was existing in. And if you remember, Paul said these are the things you're to put off and to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. What Paul is saying is there's no room for these things in a Jesus-centered marriage. There's not an ounce of room for any of these things there. And he's saying, husbands, you are embittering your wives because of the way you treat them, the way you operate, and this power structure that you exist in. And instead, he said, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another, and forgive. The radical reality of people reading this in Paul's day, we cannot fathom how the guys would be shifting in their seats. Like, oh. And the love that Paul talks about here is agape love. This is a caring love that has a deliberate attitude that concerns itself not with my needs, but with the needs of the other. This is not a self-serving love. This is a giving love. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, saying, give yourself to them, serve them. In Ephesians 5, this parallel passage, Paul expands on this thought. He says, Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Paul saying, hey, husbands, see how Jesus did this? He sacrificed. It was all about self-denial. It was about being humble before. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul wrote, in your relationships with one another. So this is all relationships, but he's speaking into marriage as well. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. There again, we have humility and sacrifice and laying his life down. So when Paul writes, wives submit and husbands love, this is not about reinforcing any sort of power structure. It's actually about relinquishing it. It's giving away any sort of power. It's what Jesus did. Jesus laid his life down, relinquished all the power in the world. He just laid it down. In Ephesians, this chapter 5, the, the passage that I've referenced a couple times here, there's something pretty interesting that Paul does in this passage too. And if you want, you can flip over there. Is that before he addresses wives or husbands or um, children or parents, he says something in verse 21 that I find extremely interesting. And if you look at your Bible, some of your Bibles are going to have verse 21 and verse 22 right next to each other. Some of you will have a heading it is not the way Paul wrote, by the way. That was someone later. There's a heading in between that separates it. Verse 21 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before he addresses any sort of grouping or individuals, tells the church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's, uh, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, a lot of weddings over the years. And not too long ago, there was a couple that we got to this passage and had given it as homework. And what I later found out was that this couple almost didn't show up because they were so upset with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. And this individual's future mother-in-law very wisely and graciously just encouraged them to go and to talk it out and to ask questions. And as we talked through this passage, I, I said, you started in verse 22, didn't you? They said, yep. I said, all right, let's talk about verse 21. What would happen in a marriage if we didn't start with just wives submit and then husbands love? What if we start in any relationship, including a marriage, with this submitting to one another? Because this is the way that submission looks, and this is the illustration I give, is one spouse puts himself under the other and lifts that spouse up. The other spouse puts themselves under, submits, and lifts the other spouse up. The other spouse submits and lifts the other up. This mutual submitting to one another. What happens if I choose that? What happens if 
If I throw out the concept of power and authority and rule. Here, let's think about this for a second. Um, let's see here. Eric, do you have the slide in there that says if, if wives? There you go. Thank you. Let's think through this. If wives submit to their husbands as Christ submits to the church, so as we see in these passages, and if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and if both wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters, submit to one another, who's really in charge here? I mean, if we walk through these passages, who's really in charge here? And, and the reality is, is that I, I don't think that's the question anymore. I mean, we can say Jesus. Yep, the supremacy of Christ. We've been talking about this the whole time. But this question all of a sudden just starts to fade off into the distance. I mean, if we're living out what Paul talked as this radical reality, speaking into power structures... The question of power and authority is, is not the most important question by any means. I mean, Christ-centered relationships, wherever they're at, must be defined by humility and respect. Jesus had the power, all the power in the universe, yet he served. Jesus voluntarily placed himself in a place of submission, laying his life down. As Mark 10 said, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, if Jesus came to serve, if Jesus came to lay his life down, what makes me any better? John Tyson, he pastors a church in New York City. I've been reading this quote again and again all week long. He said this. He said, husbands, when speaking into this passage, husbands are called to sacrificially give themselves in love for their wives and wives are called to let them do it. I mean, what would happen is if as a husband, I sacrificially gave myself to Joanna again and again and again. I served her. I went for her heart. I noticed her needs. And I did whatever it was that I, that I could do to love her. I mean, Joanna has a couple options. But no, thank you. I don't want that. In which this week she mentioned to me, she said, sometimes she's like, I, I see you loving me, and, and I feel like I wish it could be a little bit different like this. And we all do that. We all have ways that we want to be loved, and we may reject the love of those closest to us as they try to love us. But what if you just said, yeah, I'm... I'm Husband, yep, Lo love me, sacrifice for me. Sure, yep, I'm going to fully give myself to the love of you. Yep, husband, you can give up your life for me. I'll let you do that. You want to sacrifice for me? Yeah, 
I'm on board. That doesn't take a thing away from you as a wife. Not a thing. It builds. As a wife, you can do the exact same thing. Yep, I'm going to sacrifice for you. Yep, I'm going I'm to give myself for you. Yep, I'm going to let you. Husband, I'm, you're gonna, you're gonna, you can receive this. What if marriages and relationships were defined this way? That marriage was not about me. It's not about my power, my authority, my rights, my rule. What about the other person? What if it was both husband and wife imitating Jesus? What if we just said, you know what? I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do whatever I can to serve you. I'm going to lay my life down. Because Paul wrote, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for the radical words of Paul that speaking into the household codes, the, the structures that were. Recognizing that Jesus changes everything. Changes how we engage the world, changes how we engage relationships. And Jesus, today, I recognize there are all sorts of questions or what-ifs or buts or whatever it may be. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just infuse deep within us at this call to serve, this call to lay our lives down, God, to voluntarily choose to serve one another. God, to glorify you. But as Paul's word said, let peace rule that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we would do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so, Jesus, I pray for all sorts of situations that are represented here, that are represented by those online. God, we pray for those with great and strong marriages, Lord, that you would strengthen, that you would even show areas, God, of opportunity to strengthen. God, for those that are walking through seasons of dryness, Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, that they would serve one another. Lord, I pray for those with broken marriages, or that they would look into your eyes and into your heart, God, that they would move wholeheartedly towards you as followers of Jesus, that they would be refined by you. Lord, I ask for healing for them. 
without ultimately healing for the marriage. God, for those who have wounds and scars, brokenness, or all sorts of hurt from marriages, divorces, whatever it may be, Jesus, I pray your spirit, God, would bring about the peace that Paul talked about here. Lord, would heal as only you can heal. God, I pray for all those here who, God, one day may feel the calling to marriage. Lord Jesus, that you would prepare them, that you would prepare their spouse, or that they would be running toward you. God, just as Pastor Gerton said so long ago, is they would just look to their left and their right, and they would see who's running along towards Jesus. And God, too, for those, God, who have been called to singleness, Lord Jesus, this is not a less than reality. In fact, Paul spoke to it very clearly. God, as a way to serve the Lord. And Jesus, I pray that, God, those would not feel, God, any sort of, um, God, would just feel your smile, your glory, your love upon them. Jesus, that they too would serve the world around them, that they would be shining examples, God, for Jesus. Father, I pray ahead for these coming weeks as we speak about parenting and, and what, it, what you continue to teach. Jesus, may we be a church that loves you, God, that we believe and that we walk out at the truths of your word. May we be a people who serve. And so, Jesus, may your spirit continue to work in us. God, I, I pray that we will continue to wrestle with this this week. And that we would go to your word, we would go to each other, we would go to prayer. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for this day. For this in your strong and powerful name. Amen.